From InsureTech Ireland, this is InsureTech Radio. This week's guest is Adam Fisher, Executive Vice President of Product and Technology at ClearCover. Hello and welcome to InsureTech Radio. I'm here with Adam Fisher of ClearCover. Uh, Adam, how are you today? I'm great, Connor. How are you? Great. Um, so, Adam, can you give me a little bit about your background and how you came to ClearCover? Yeah, Connor, really interesting. I I didn't have an insurance background before I came to ClearCover. So I came really more from working as a product leader in the in more consumer products. So uh, in the U.S., Apartments.com is a very large internet listing site for apartments. And I worked at product there. Uh, before that, I also worked at Redbox, which uh, for some of your audience might not be familiar, it's more of an American brand. It's a DVD rental kiosk company. And so in there, this is, they were really big before the streaming wars came out and started to eat a lot of market share there. And the interesting thing when I was working there, it's actually still true in the US, they have more lo- rental locations than both McDonald's and Starbucks combined. And so you were reaching a really interesting subset of users, right? Because these are users who are interested in very inexpensive entertainment and you were reaching a really large swath of the American population. And so I'm really, I really cut my teeth in the tech industry, working directly with consumers, building great consumer products that they get really engaged in. And so when ClearCover was starting, they said, look, we want to run a tech company. Right. And so we obviously are building an insurance company. We also want our own tech company. And so I'm sure a lot of folks in your audience who hear that my title is product and technology, they might think of, oh, well, you know, it's a typical and traditional insurance product manager type of role. No, when we talk about product at ClearCover, we actually talk about it in two lenses. We do clearly need have and have the traditional insurance product, product management function, but we also have a tech product management function. And that's something that we we established right away saying this is super important. You have to always be thinking of the consumer. You have to be thinking as of your digital experiences as a product, the way, you know, high performing tech companies think of product management, right? So that's where my background is that more tech product management. And so I was super excited to get into an industry like insurance, right? Some people say, well, why did you get into to insurance, right? You, you're, you're, you're really on these consumer brands and these kind of consumer companies. And for me, it's, look, there's so much opportunity in this industry, right? To think like a product manager, to think customer centric. And that really excited me. I, I knew that myself and the team that we would build we could build experiences that probably didn't exist yet in this industry. And so that's really energizing, right? And so I came over, we were a startup, I was employee number 10. And, you know, I said, we didn't have a backlog, you know, we didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have a product yet and we hadn't launched yet. And I said, okay, great. Uh, let's, let's get started. Like, let's get, let's really think about what the customer wants, how they perceive insurance and let's go from there. And, you know, from there, we've grown to a, a team from not just, you know, not 10 at that time to now 100 and about 1,315. We're going to probably add another 50 or 60 next year. And so we're growing really well. We're, we're growing at a great clip. And we continue to think of our mission to think it like the customer, put the customer first, and to build great product experiences on top of a great insurance product that is priced appropriately, underwritten correctly, et cetera. Cool. And... 
When you talk about the difference between, say, product management, uh, you know, from, say, an underwriting point of view, and you're a tech product manager, like, how do you describe that to, say, traditional insurance people who you work with? Uh, like, what are, the, what, are the, what are the things they don't understand, and how do you actually uh, communicate that? Yeah, it's a great question because it, it happens all the time. Uh, so, and I and and sometimes I'm successful in explaining it, and sometimes I don't. And so, the the first important part to note about the delineation is it has to be a great partnership for this to work, right? You can't just uh, have parallel product management. You have to. What we try to do is we try to pair our product managers, our tech product managers, with the insurance product managers. And the delineation, the difference then is. The insurance product manager is the one that's going to be working. One, they're going to work very deeply, obviously, with our actuarial team, our actuarial science team, to worry about pricing, to worry about underwriting. And we obviously need people who come from the industry, right, who understand deeply when you're going into, you know, in the the U.S., insurance is a very state-by-state proposition, right? You have to get approved in in all the states that you're going to write in. The insurance regulators have to look at your rating, they have to look at your underwriting, and they have to approve your product, right? And so that's a hard process in and of itself. And you need a lot of experience going through that process, right? What's going to work? What doesn't? And down to, yes, I know this regulator, right? And I know what, what works, what doesn't, right? And, and what you, how you need to build your product to be successful in this state. You need that kind of intelligence. But what you find traditionally in a lot of insurance companies is, they don't know how to build great UX, right? They don't know how to to manage a technical product, right? To say, look, we have multiple technical products in our stack. One of them is our acquisition product and our distribution products, right? So if you go to insurance product manager and say, all right, cool, now you also have to manage the API that distributes this to, you know, the to our different uh, distribution partners. They'll kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, well, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I know how to build a product that's going to hit our loss ratio and our combined ratio targets. I know how to do all of that. But I can't tell you how to build an API. I can't tell you what the best UX is. I, don't, I can't tell you how to A-B test a funnel in order to make sure that every question converts as well as possible, right? Mm. And so when you bring the type of talent that knows how to do those things, right, knows how to prioritize a technical product, work within a agile software development lifecycle, and then you combine them with the intelligence and the experience of an insurance product manager, you start to have a really powerful combination and a powerful team. And mm-hmm. so we're really lucky that we have great technical product managers and great insurance product managers at ClearCover. And as a result, when they, where the area where they overlap is when they start saying, okay, well, the insurance product manager might say, yeah, well, we have to ask these questions. And the technical product manager might say, well, do we really need to, or, you know, can we ask it this way, right? So there's always going to be that give and take. And the good thing about our insurance product management team is that they, they, we've as a company have tried to imbue and tried to infuse this customer centric idea in, in all aspects of the company. Right. So it isn't a fight. Right. It isn't it isn't a disagreement session. It's a, oh, I see where you're going with that. Yeah, let's try this. Right. And without that collaboration, you're not going to be successful. And I think in a lot of traditional insurance companies, the role that my team plays, not only, you know, not only do I have the technical product management piece, but I also have the the entire engineering department within my department. A lot of times that department is seen as IT. Right. Yeah, like, well, yeah. IT needs to do this project. Right. 
And, and they're very project-based, they're very IT-centric. And I've even listened to some of your episodes, you hear a lot about people in the insurance industry saying, well, I need to get that on the IT project list. Hmm. And, and we think of it radically different. These aren't projects, these are living, breathing products that users are using, customers are using, yeah. and you have to have a roadmap for them. You have to figure out what's going to happen next. And you have to be thinking about the customer at every step of the way through consumer research, through UX research, and you need to be super focused on that. And again, insurance product managers, that's, that's just not their DNA, right? Mm, that's not necessarily yeah. what they do. And so when you combine these two functions, it becomes a really powerful uh, opportunity for, the, for a company, but also for consumers. And I think at the end, consumers win when you can find a good balance of that. Yeah, absolutely. That's probably where um, insurers probably, if you self-reflect a bit, that's probably where insurers drop the ball. Is that they're mm-hmm. kind of a lot of inwardly focused talking, particularly when you're talking about loss ratios and trying to, um, not, what's the word, kind of avoid uh, certain scenarios where you're going to be paying out too much money. You know, you, you kind of you are intrinsically thinking about your own results. And so when you first joined the company, like obviously you're, you guys are figuring this stuff out as you go along. Uh, so like. Was there a moment for you where, where you say there was some challenge at work where you're like, oh God, I, I, I can't, I, I don't know that I, I didn't realize that they think of it that way. Like, what was kind of the, what was kind of an example of that for you? Yeah, <laughs> working in insurance does happen even, even now. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of different uh, things that have happened in ClearCover's history where you just say, well. Of course, that's what the user wants. Uh, or there's a lot of times where I've taken a step back and said, oh, okay, that makes sense now from an insurance business perspective, right? Mm. And I think um, it's it's more towards your question, but I think it's also just an interesting insight is um, more how consumers behave in general. And so <laughs> we, we did a lot of guerrilla user testing uh, when we were starting. And what that means is we would go... And my, me and my designer would go camp out at a Starbucks and say, like, look at this prototype. Really? <laughs> how, how does this, yeah, how does this work, right? Like, do you think you understand your policy? Do you think you understand what your coverages are? And what the funny thing was, we would stand there with gift cards being like, well, we'll give you five, 10, 15 bucks just for your, for your opinion. And no one would, no one would say yes. No one would say like, yes. Uh, no, no one would say yes. You're crazy. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at Starbucks. Like, come on. You know, we're like, you know, we first start outside the door and realize this is a really bad idea because these are the type of customers that are trying to go in and out real quick. So it's like, well, let's go inside the restaurant. We went inside the restaurant. Is this a found people? Uh, this is a tactic that's used often uh, in tech companies. It, it is. So, so you, it, uh, it's used often when you don't have a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's used often in startups. <laughs> yeah. So this is this is definitely a startup story. Yeah. So it, it is used often. I mean, to be fair, large companies still do this as well. Typically, though, UX research, you have a UX research department, they have a UX lab, you have a survey, you invite people, you come sit them down, you compensate them well, right? Mm. Now, of course, you have to be careful in the insurance industry because you don't want that to be seen as an inducement, right? You, you, there's some regulations around that. Yeah. But typically, that's how you run these. When you're poor, <laughs> you don't do that. You go outside of a Starbucks like a crazy person, you know, waving a phone at people. And that's just the way it is. And so... So we, we kept doing this, we go, ah, and we're like, this isn't working. So we went inside, and we're like, oh, this person's clearly camped out. They have time. No, 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 thanks. So we're like, well, this isn't working. So we went down the street, and you know, we're in the downtown Chicago, 
and we have a nice, beautiful river walk in the, in the middle of the city. So we go, let's go to the river walk. People are a little more leisurely there. Mm-hmm. And we did the same thing. Hey, you know, ten minutes for for you know, ten dollars for a few minutes of your time, and and no one would stop. Again, we're like, oh man, this this really stinks. What are we gonna do? <laughs> and finally, I said, all right, Joe. Joe's my my designer. I said, Joe, I'm gonna try a different tactic. I'm just gonna say, can you give? Can you spare a few minutes to give us your opinion? And so, you know, a gentleman comes running by. I said, excuse me, sir, can you just stop for a few minutes? Just want your opinion on something that's gonna help us with something we're building for our company. And he stopped. I said, oh, well, great. So now I'm like, oh, wait, what am I supposed to do next? I have gotten, everyone said no to me so far. So we go through the prototype and he starts, you know, explaining some things about, oh, I don't understand this coverage. I'm like, no, oh, it's kind of clear. And, and we were always concerned about this, right? We always came from the, the, the disposition that people really don't get insurance, right? They no. don't understand how it works. They don't understand coverage. And we thought, okay, we think we've cracked it. And he's like, no, I still don't understand it, right? And so he, one of the things he started to elucidate, I was like, I really think about scenarios. I think about, well, you're going to cover me in this case, right? And, and to be fair, a lot of our incumbent uh, friends and, and competitors, when it comes to some of their advertising, they think this way, right? And so mm-hmm. this was an insight that we kind of knew, but it really you know, started to, to hit home. And so I'm like, okay, well, you need more than just one person. So the next person, again, didn't incentivize them, didn't you know, say I have money for them. Said, excuse me, can you stop a few minutes for, for, for your opinion? We really need it. They stopped again. Hmm. And and we went through it again. We had some other good insights. And it was great. And at the end of each one of these, and I had probably five or six people stop. And and again, a hundred percent success rate when I changed my tactic. And at the end, I was like, well, hey, let me give you you know Starbucks gift card for your time. And I was like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And so what was so fascinating to me and what I learned, which I felt like I knew, but I didn't know it until it really came into practice, is people really just want you to listen to how they feel. Mm. They really want you to listen to their opinion and know that you're going to take that and improve something. Mm. To know that you're going to take that and make something that they may interact with better. Mm. And it's such a a fundamental and foundational human experience and human need. But man, that exercise really drove that home for me. Yeah, and wow. it was super. It was really insightful, and, and I really enjoyed the entire experience. But it also goes to show how important it is to put that consumer at the heart of what you're trying to build, and everything else kind of falls into place once you do that. Mm. And this was that. that how, how long ago was that? A couple of years. This was oh geez, this was about twenty months ago. So about about two years ago. So we we launched our California product in February of 2018. And uh, before that, you know, th- so we were doing this exercise in the fall of 2017, right. gearing up for our launch in in, in February 2018. And it was your results even back then in terms of uh, consumers uh, not knowing exactly what uh, certain coverages were. It, it was kind of predicting the the big scale or the large scale um, research that you've done recently. So about 800 uh, participants in that. Can you talk a bit about the just? Uh, what the research was and then why you decided to uh, commission it. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, again, we think it's important to listen to customers, right? We think it's important to listen to the consumers. And so we're running these type of smaller scale surveys all the time. And then we decide, let's do something that we know is statistically significant. So we can share some of these insights 
uh, you know, out into the general public, whether it's insure, you know, other insurance companies, insure tech peers, because ultimately we want to make the entire industry better, right? Like we, like we think that, you know, we're, we're happy to compete on price. We're happy to compete with our service. And we think that great user experiences are just table states in this industry, right? There's some companies who are kind of building their entire company on, well, we have a better UX and it's, well, yeah, but that's, everyone should have that. Right? Mm. And so, so at the end of the day though, we commissioned the study because we think it's super important to know what consumers want and make sure we're working these things into our product life cycles, right? And so back to this confusion thing, one of the things that was really fascinating is that, you know, 78% of our of the folks we talked to, they all thought, you know, it was very clear what the price is and why we're getting charged, but only 63% really understood uh, what was covered. But what was really fascinating about that is uh, about half the population thought that most of the insurance companies were intentionally making it hard to understand what was covered. Now that's really fascinating, mm. right? And so, and, and there's, there's another stat that we learned, which is, you know, 90% of, 90% of our respondents uh, wanted a kind of a hybrid digital and human experience, right? They didn't want to drop the human completely. Yeah. And if you go back to that 51, you know, 50 to 51% really thought that, you know, insurance companies were intentionally making it hard to understand a policy. And, and you know, if, if you were a millennial, that's actually 73%. So the 50, 50% population at large, but of the millennial population we talked to, that was 73%. Mm. There's a trust issue there. Yeah, massive. And it's interesting because the millennial uh, will make up more and more of your customer base over time. A hundred percent. Right. And so not, and so there is a trust issue there and knowing that to your point, that's where the demographics are shifting. Mm. That's why they still want some of these human interactions. I think yeah. a lot of it goes into trust. They still want a person to look them in the eye or, you know, listen to them on the phone or chat with them and, and actually go on record. <laughs> You know, they yeah. want the advice. And this is why if you look, if you look in the US market, this is why the independent broker, the independent agent market has stayed relatively stable. Right. So if you look at at overall, captive agents are are going down traditionally with you know more direct taking that share, but direct hasn't eaten into the independent agent share the way it has in more of captive of a captive environment. And I think it comes back to this trust thing. I think people want that trust. And so they're going to go to an independent agent because they know that they're not affiliated with a specific carrier and they want that advice, right? You're covering a large asset. In this case, we're, you know, we're a car insurance company, but when you're, when you're covering a large asset, well, I want to make sure I'm covered. Right. And that was the other interesting thing from our, from our research is that, you know, when it comes to the millennial millennial audience, 95% of them uh, said that, you know, my car is my biggest asset, right? And so if you take a look at the decline of homeownership overall in the millennial population, mm. the car is obviously then going to become the largest asset. And so what was very interesting is that the vast majority of folks said that they would buy insurance, not just because it covers their large asset, but also because they're worried about covering the other people they would affect in the case of an mm. accident or, or an injury. And so people then fundamentally want to make sure that they're covered appropriately and that they're going to take care of the person that they're going to potentially hit. And so when you have this kind of trust issue that's existing, of course, you're going to look for a human touch and a human voice to be reassuring and to say like, okay, I, I think you're going to tell it to me straight. I mm. think you're going to 
I think you're going to really help me out. And then, of course, again, people are moving into some of that independent agent work as well to, to help offset that as well. And so how will this inform your marketing or even your product development over time? Yeah, so on the product development side, we've, uh, in some ways, it was very validating, especially the, the lack of understanding and coverage. So we've been working very deeply one of the screens that we always try to tinker with is actually our ultimate quote and coverage summary screen, because we know this is that point where you're first, you're getting presented with the price. Second, this is where we're trying to explain the coverages. And third, we're trying to give you reassurance that you're, you're covered appropriately. And so it, it validated the fact that the amount of time and research money we've been spending on just this one screen of the 40 other screens we have in our flow is the right place to put our money. And we'll continue to put that money. And we're actually in 2020 going to increase some of that research spend, right? Because we know this is such an important part of, of our flow. And, I, and ultimately, you know, there's, there's other things that came out of the study, which I think we're validating, but also, you know, you asked more on the marketing side. Of the people we talked to, you mentioned there's about 800 of them. Within the last month, uh, they had, uh, about half of them had seen an insurance ad, right? And what was very fascinating is that most of the respondents can name five different insurance brands uh, just off the top of their head. Now, name me another industry where that's true, <laughs> right? Like if I asked you, hey, what are the five top uh, ice cream companies <laughs> you know, in your <laughs> yeah, country? You could name two probably. Exactly, right? <laughs> but, but, but five, ins- I mean, insurance companies? I mean, everyone likes ice cream more than insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we've always taken an approach that, that our competitive differentiation is in our distribution. Right. So a lot of the incumbents in the U.S. market, they're going to spend literally billions of dollars on advertising. Right. Because they're trying to, to, to raise brand awareness. They're trying to make sure that people know about their company. Yet in our research, 87 percent of the folks we talked to said they would switch if it was easy to switch. Mm. And if the price was competitive. So this brand awareness is not necessarily, and all the money being spent on brand awareness isn't necessarily translating into brand loyalty. Yeah. Right. And so that also in in a lot of ways validated our approach that look, if you spend time on good product development and building great experiences for the consumer, they're going to stay more because you've built those experiences than because you spend billions of dollars talking to them all the time just about your brand yeah right because because real true brand is where the rubber meets the road true brand is when people are actually experiencing your product and forming opinions on it yeah right it's not just the the celebrities that you have endorsing right it's really getting together and saying is, is this thing easy to use is it covering my needs and what we've all what we feel like we've always known is is this the right price for me and so because we, we focus on making sure that we have an extremely competitively priced product and you know, we use our technology to, to ensure that we can continue to make that true for consumers, right? So mm-hmm. we're not going to go spend all that money on advertising because at the end of the day, you're going to give me premium dollars so I can go back and build your brand awareness in your brain. <laughs> Instead, I'd rather take those premium dollars, build great technology that's going to build great experiences, that's mm-hmm. going to retain you, right? And then I can continue to scale a company, right? Like ClearCover can scale. We can continue to be a lower price provider because yeah. our tech stack is newer. Our tech stack is more modern. And that just 
becomes kind of like a self-reinforcing flywheel, right? At scale, you can then continue to even lower prices more because you've used the technology to take a lot of variable costs to make them much more fixed costs. And so that's um, really our model. That's what we're trying to do on, on our side. And when it comes to, so obviously you don't have, you're not spending billions of dollars on like TV ads and billboards right. or anything. So right. what, what are your, what tactics do you use for customer acquisition? A, a couple of different tactics on this front. One is we've built a, an API-centric distribution platform that allows us to plug insurance into moments that really make sense for consumers. So I know in the European market, uh, price aggregators are huge. They're not as big in the U.S., but they're growing. And we said, well, look, that's an, that's an obvious place to be plugging our offers into. That's an obvious place to have users get to get quotes. So when we first started to build our tech platform, we said, look, we want to build an insurance platform and not necessarily an insurance brand insurance technology right and so we look at our we look at our distribution platform saying it needs to be super api centric we need to be able to go to the price aggregators we need to be able to go to other moments that it makes sense for consumer to think about insurance so that's you know potentially when you're thinking about your finances right when you're when you're thinking about a purchase or a trade-in or, or a sale of a vehicle right there's also other brands that we work with that introduce us to their customers when there's certain life moments as well, because we know that this is another thing we found out through our research that, you know, when you're in, you're in a kind of a life change moment, you're going to reevaluate some of your spending. You're going to reevaluate some of the, the choices you're making around money. And so if we can build a really flexible API distribution platform to either get quotes or to be able to take in customer data is super easy. We think that's a really winning opportunity for us, right? And so our distribution is really focused on these digital digital distribution opportunities where we don't have to spend a ton of money on marketing up front. We have to make sure we're building enough brand and enough brand awareness that when a consumer is first introduced to us, they trust us. And so you know, we make sure that we are providing great service so that our reviews that they might be searching you know, are really good. We make sure that our website presents itself really well. Our brand team's done a great job on that side to make sure that when somebody comes to our site, there's human beings that they can see. So we, we, we leaned in heavily on video on our website oh, right. to say like, look, there's real people who work here right? <laughs> and, and they have feelings and emotions and probably have families. Right. And so these people aren't, this isn't just some, this, this low price company, right. That's just going to maybe not be there for you. The, this company is being built by people. And I think that was a really good insight, you know, from our head brand to, to think that way and to make sure that we put video front and center and video of the people who work at Clearcover. That's not to say we also don't play in some marketing channels. We do some SEM, we do some social, and we just don't spend a ton of time and a ton of money on that side, right? It's We get most of our customers from these digital distribution opportunities. Yeah, so it's kind of partnerships as opposed to direct-to-consumer um, uh, website. Well, obviously you have your website, but that's not where you're really pushing it. Exactly. Cool. So what, what are you going to do differently now as a result of this research? I think on the different side, we I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, more on the more content marketing side. What I mean by that is there's a lot of uh, research content, especially around coverages, around the industry, around how insurance works. But I think we have a lot of opportunity to just help inform and educate the customer. We've always been wanting to then bring a hybrid of some of that content into our purchase experience to make that you know really solidify it when you're actually thinking about the insurance, uh, thinking about insurance. 
But in a lot of ways, I would say it's what we're not going to change to, right? Like, I think it, it, it is, as I mentioned, I think it validated our distribution approach. I think it validated that our distribution approach also then becomes a competitive differentiator. And I think it's, it, if anything, it's told us we have to continue to invest more in this research, right? We're, we're becoming, we're becoming funded enough to where we can get a little bit more serious in the spend, right? I don't have to wave a Starbucks gift card around like a crazy person <laughs> as much. Uh, and and we're going to really continue to focus on the research because at the end of the day, it's a customer centric business. Absolutely. That's, that's what insurance is. And the more you understand the customer, the better off you're going to serve them. And I was just wondering, um, this may not have been a, a discussion point for you guys, but when, um, when you got back the research results and you're saying, oh, this kind of affirms what we already thought, did, was there ever a fear that maybe uh, it was confirmation bias? Uh, or yes. how did you kind of think through that? <laughs> it, it always is. That's why we also uh, made sure we had a third party run a lot of it for us. Yeah. And so like we didn't, we didn't say, look, go give us our talking points that matches with our, <laughs> with our current uh, business operations. It was, look, let's, let's see what there is. Like, let, let's see what, let's see what consumers actually think. Let's see what consumers actually feel. Yeah, and so we made sure to to really look at it. To you know, we made sure that again, like statistically, it made sense. We made sure that you know the team running it again was a third party team for us. And at the end of the day, we we took a step back and said, yeah, okay, we're we're comfortable with where we're at here. Cool. Well, look, thanks a million for your uh, time, Adam. I really appreciate it. Do you have any uh, parting words? I think the only parting words would be. If you don't just play lip service to being customer centric, if you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't talked to a customer in the last four weeks, you're not customer centric. <laughs> you just, you just aren't right. And so, in order to be customer centric, you have to be building these relationships with customers and talking to them directly. It's the only way you can do it. And so, there's no reason for anyone at any level of any insurance company to not constantly be in communication with customers. Great point. Great lesson as well. Um, thanks a million for your time. And where can people find out more about you and more about ClearCover? ClearCover.com. Uh, very easy to find. It's our brand team's done a great job with that web, with our website. You can also get a quote, but of course you have to be out in the US. And right now we're live in California. We're live in Arizona and Utah as well. And we will, we, as, and of course our home state of Illinois, and we hope to be live in a few more states this year. And then we're hoping many more states in 2020. Great. State by state. State by state. Thanks a million, Adam. Appreciate it. All right, Connor. Thanks so much for your time.